Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Cersei to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. There, there are many different kinds of messages, and today is a discipling message, okay? There are messages that are intended to inspire. There are messages that are meant to confront. Uh, there are messages that are meant to remind us of the joy of eternity and the excitement of following Christ. And then there are other messages that are just like, Hey, this is discipleship, and the hope there and aim is that we would all leave here knowing a little bit more about why we believe what we, we believe. Today is that, is that, that day, so it's definitely going to have that, that vibe th- this morning. So we have been in the book of Mark. I'm going to ask you to go there again today. This is, if you're just tuning in, a series that will take us up to Easter morning, and uh, we are on part four today in Mark's gospel. I'm going to be in a couple of chapters. I'm going to circle back to Mark 1, which uh, Craig opened up with a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about the, the, lep- the leper, and uh, then today I'm going to talk about the paralytic, and we are going to extract some, some truth from, from this today. So these stories that we've been talking about are the stories of Jesus, and they are told through Simon Peter. And it's about 30 years post-resurrection. So these stories are being shared to and edited by Peter's disciple, John Mark. So as I told, told you last week, John Mark was a boy when Christ died, but his mother was very involved. Because of that, uh, he's got a significant investment made into this gospel story. And so he is editing these stories given him by Peter. And Peter, he he doesn't know it yet, but Peter is soon to be arrested. And he's never leaving Rome. He's going to end up dying there. uh, As Fox's uh, Book of Martyr tells us that he's going to be crucified upside down there in Rome. But I want to look at Mark Chapter 1, verse 1, I want to revisit the origin and the opening line here. It says this, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So this is how Mark starts his gospel. The beginning of the good news. Everybody say good news. So it's great any time, in any format, in any context that we get, Good news. We even play a game with each other when we call people and we're, we're going to share something with them. We'll say, hey, listen, I got good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? And it just depends on your personality, which one that you choose. But we all love the good news. So some of you are like, hit me with the good news first. That lets the bad news be more tolerable. Or you're saying, all right, hit me with the bad. Let's end with good. I want to end, end the, the conversation with whatever you got that, that's, that, that's great. 
And Mark is saying what you're about to hear is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So I would say that if the gospel that you are bound to this morning is not good news, then perhaps you haven't heard Simon Peter's version of the story of Jesus. He goes on in verse 14 saying, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So he's going into a culture that is sick, disoriented, very religious, and he's saying, I have good news to tell you. The good news of Jesus is found in the next verse, verse 15 of chapter 1, and Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. So he's saying, listen, there's about to be a shift between what you've always known and what's about to transpire. And he's saying the kingdom of God is very close. You're about to get a revelation of all these things that you've read about from history is about to be walking the streets with you. It's about The kingdom of God's about to put its hand on you. You're about to hear the kingdom of God talk and you're going to hear that through your physical ears. It's very, very near. And so the appropriate response is also found in 15 where it says, repent and believe the good news. Okay, this word repent it means to turn around. So he says, listen, the appropriate response is for you to, to turn around, to believe the good news, and then set your face toward it and walk toward it, live life in it, and, and receive this amazing news. So Jesus was going to introduce to them a new way of living, not just a new way of dying. And this is, this is very important because everything was about eternity and afterlife. Everything was about what comes next. Everything was about what happens when you face God in eternity, and that's very, very important. But Jesus is going to say, listen, heaven is about to meet with earth, and you get to be a part of that. We still are a part of that. We're in this incredible church age where not everything has to be aimed toward eternity, but you and I get a shot at making a difference right now with our earth, earthly lives. He's going to show us a new way to live, not just a new way to die. And so the community's reaction is found in Mark 1 and 22. It says the people were amazed at his teaching. It says he taught them as someone who had authority. And this does not necessarily translate to mean someone who had a position. What it means is someone who had an expertise. So they're hearing him and they're going, it sounds like you really know what you're talking about. This is someone who had expertise, not as a teacher of law. It goes on in verse 28. It says, news about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. The word crowd, like I told you last week, is mentioned in every chapter in the book of Mark, except for two. Mark is emphasizing, Jesus went, there's a crowd. He went to a city, there's a crowd. He goes by the sea, there's a crowd. He goes into a home, there's a crowd. 
The big point he's trying to make here is Jesus' message is being well-received even in a culture that is broken. Now let's lasso that and bring it into our own culture this morning. I still believe that even in our culture, in a broken culture, in an arduous and rigid culture that you and I live in, there is still great space for the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, what I'm about to say here is very important. I want you to keep in mind that the world at this time when Jesus shows up is very much like what we experience now. Meaning this, there were a lot of religious factions along with a lot of diversity. There were a lot of ways of life with people who were living in a very small land space. There was a pagan view. There was an atheist view. There was a Greek view, a Roman view, a Jewish view, and all of these people were neighbors. They all had an idea about a god or gods or no god. And they were living beside each other. This was a very diverse culture. And Jesus begins to draw a picture that's going to disrupt the peace for all of them. So what I'm going to give you this morning are three paradigm-shifting narratives that Jesus began and they still play out for you and I this morning. Those are, Jesus would ignore religious protocol. He's going to claim to have authority to forgive sin. And he is uncomfortably comfortable being around sinners. Right? Now this is important to talk about because Jesus is trying to strategically remove three obstacles that were keeping people from getting close to God. Unfortunately, about 200 years later, the church decides to bring all these obstacles back. And maybe, just maybe, you're in this room today and you're struggling right now with one of these obstacles as well. So let, let's talk through these narratives this morning. The first one. Narrative one that Jesus begins to spend time on is he is going to, throughout his entire ministry, ignore religious protocol. Okay? He's still going to speak the gospel. He's going to teach from the old, what we call the Old Testament. He is going to uh, bring that, that, that in, and he's going to quote it, and he's going to show honor to it. But in terms of the religious protocol, he is really going to upset things. Now, we've talked about how this has looked in our, our own lives, re re the religious protocol. Religion at some point has said, this is the way that you have to dress. Just this week, I had a guy ask me, he says, I can't believe that your church does not make you wear a suit. He thought it was amazing. I was like, I know, right? I mean, they're, they're an amazing group of people. He was like, I can't believe it. I mean, I've just never been in a church where a, a pastor did not wear a suit. I said, I know, it's amazing. And he said, you don't, you don't have to wear a tie or anything? no. No tie. I said, you know what? I'm really going to blow, you, blow your mind. Some weekends, I wear sneakers. I know. It's crazy. He was like, man, some churches would say you're a sinner. I said, I know. It's crazy. Probably your church would call me a sinner. 
He said, I have to wear a suit every single Sunday. That's religion to wear a suit. Not, not a bad thing. There are people who are great in suits. I don't want to wear one. <laughs> Sometimes it's about the way we talk or tattoos. Man, we spent a big one on tattoos. We spent a lot of years. And some of y'all are, are thankful that I don't preach on that because you got multiples. Where you go, if you drink, if you smoke, we, 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 we went through all of these things. Now, now hear me. These are a lot of the time what we talk about when we say where you should go and what you should say and how you should act. These are sanctification issues, but they're not salvation issues. Meaning this, you can come to Jesus however you are, wherever you are, dressed however you are dressed. Salvation is an open door. Once he has your heart, you will start to let go of things because you begin to prioritize his love in your life. You may start to dress differently, talk differently, act differently because your insecurity in it begins to fall away. Because you see the truth of who you are. Because you have a new identity. Because the spirit is at work in your life. Come as you are, and once you get there, then let the sanctification process begin. Some people, many people, have walked away from, from the church saying, if the church is going to be petty or police me or punish me or push me away, I don't want to be like them. But watch, hear me, where our culture really struggles today is this. They say, I want to come to Jesus as I am, that's scripture, but they say, and stay as I am, not scripture. Okay, so you, you, there, there's a really fine area right there, right there. And so you have to be careful because if the church confronts sin, that's scriptural. If we say, man, this is not the way Jesus would want you to live your life, let the Spirit shape that part in, in you, that is scriptural. But people go, I want to come as I am and remain as I am, but still get the benefit of following Jesus. Not scripture. Come on, y'all. You were saying amen like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> All right? Are y'all with me? Okay. So when we come to Christ, there is this process, this beautiful process of leaving the old me behind and becoming a new creation in Christ. That is scripture. So let, let me recap week one for just a second to drive this point in. In Mark 1 and 40, there's this man with leprosy. Craig preached about this in depth. And it says that he came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, then you can make, make me clean. And you know how the rest of it goes. Jesus says back to him, if I'm willing, he says, it's if, 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 if you would believe, anything is possible. Let me give you a little side sermon. Let me tell you why this was so strong faith for him to just come as a leper, to come close to him, to say, if you're willing to heal me, you can do it. Because strong faith is this. It's being confident that Jesus can and being hopeful that Jesus will. Okay, This, this mentality is also found in the story of the three Hebrew boys and the fiery furnace. They make this statement, our God will deliver us, but if not, 
we still will not bow to you. There's that conjunction I was talking about last week. But if not, this shows that there's more to the thought process. This is great faith. God will deliver us. But if he chooses not to, I will not change my behavior. So this is is the same kind of faith. Jesus can do it, and I'm hopeful that he will do it for me. Now here is another side sermon. Here is a thought filter that you and I constantly struggle with because we are 2,000 years removed from the Jesus story. We did not get the pleasure, like these disciples did, of hearing his voice, feeling his hand on us, an embrace, to hear him physically, audibly unpack heaven in a small room while we were having dinner together. They were a very privileged group. We're 2,000 years beyond that. So we struggle with our faith sometimes. And this is why we struggle. Here is the thought filter that you and I tend to apply oftentimes. A, did it happen? B, does it still happen? And that thought right there split the church in half between cessationism and non-cessationism. Did it happen? Does it still happen? And then it really drills down, and the question becomes, will it happen for me? Okay? I'm not going to ha- have you raise your hand, because I know it would be 100% of us have honestly struggled with this at some point. Did that story in Scripture really happen? Does it still happen 2,000 years from now? And does it happen for me now, personally? And this affects our faith, this thought filter. And sometimes your life, if you're being honest, your life and your theology are not congruent with each other. And this is where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to walk this out. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't make sense. There's a question mark in my life. I don't know why this happened to me. I don't know why it happened to my kid. I don't know why it happened to my parents, but it did. And I don't believe this way. I don't believe this is what God wants. I don't believe this is what Jesus taught. And your experience and your theology are not congruent. And this will Affect you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, he reaches out his hand and he touches him. And Jesus chose to heal people while ignoring religious ritual and political correctness. He wasn't supposed to touch a leper, he wasn't supposed to do any of that. The, this leper was supposed to stay away. The whole thing is messed up. But he heals him. And in Mark chapter 1 and 44, just three verses later, Jesus tells him, I want you to go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing for what Moses commanded. I don't want any of us to miss this, including myself. But Jesus sent this healed man to do what was commanded of him through Mosaic law in Leviticus 5. He says, this is what you need to go and do. You need to go present yourself to the priest. Jesus is clearly communicating a couple things with this directive. He is proving, I am the son of God. You had leprosy and now you do not. And he wanted everyone to know that something new is around the corner. The kingdom of God has come. It is very near. I'm about to shake things up. I'm about to mess up this whole religious thing that you guys have have going here. 
And regardless of this anti-religious healing, people were on board. In verse 45, it says the people still came to him from everywhere. And it says that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. It was just, I'm sorry for the bad reference, but it was like Taylor Swift going to a ball game. He just, he just couldn't get, he couldn't go anywhere without being on camera, you know. The second narrative here is that he has the authority to forgive sin. Tell me that's not great news. This is great news. It's still good news. For him to forgive sin. Some people in the church there, I, w- I want you to consider yourself with this statement. Some people in the church today will struggle with Jesus forgiving Your sin. You may not have a problem when it's someone else. But for whatever reason, we tend to view our own sin as the worst sin. We're our worst critic. Like we see someone else's life transformed and we go, wow, that's great. I'm happy for them. They deserve this. I'm so glad they found Christ. I'm so glad their life has turned around. While we sit in a cesspool of what we've created through our own sinful choices and believe that it's too bad to even pray about. It's a trap. Let me paraphrase Mark chapter 2 if you're following in your Bible today. Just keep the pages turning there. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to paraphrase this. He's in a house, and he's teaching, and the crowd begins to come. It doesn't take long for people to hear, hey, he's down there at so-and-so's house. Let's go down there and check things out. The crowd is great. He is pressed. And four buddies, let's call them a life group. This life group decides, we got somebody sick in our group. And we're going to go down there to Jesus, to where Jesus is. He says, guys, I, y'all know how sick I am. I can't even, I hate to just like, everybody grab a corner. You on the mat, keep quiet. We're going to take you down there. So here they go, okay? They're walking down country club circle. Got a man on, on a mat. They find a house. It's full of you know cars everywhere. They can't get in, so they go. I got an idea. I like that guy. Okay, whoever's idea it was, I like him the most. Because he's sitting there. I guarantee you, three of them are like, "Man, I'm sorry, we tried." He's like, "Hang on, whoa, 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 I got an idea. What if we get on the roof with him, and then we tear the whole thing up?" And then we just lower him down. And at some point, I, well, this is, what, this is what I'm really mad about Mark for, is not giving us the details of this story. But at some point, they all complied. And here they are, lowering this guy through the roof of a house, watch this, that they do not own. And they have left out incredible detail here. Mark has. I'm so mad. I want to know, is the homeowner there? Right? Like, what's their story? Because I bet they're panicking. Why? Because I hear Robbie's voice in the story. The roof's coming off. They're peeling back layers. I want to know also, who's cleaning this up? Mary maids? Are they calling Surf Pro after? And you know, it's going to be like it never happened. Isn't that what the commercial says? I want to know if this birthed the thought 
of homeowner's insurance. I don't know if after the fact, some, someone was like, I wonder if we could pay somebody every month just in the case that someone might lower a person through our roof and then they pay for it. There's all kinds of question marks here, but verse uh, five in chapter two says, when Jesus, I, I love this, saw their faith. He didn't hear it. They didn't have a conversation. He saw it on them. He saw their faith. He recognized it. And he reached out to the paralyzed man and he says this. Okay, pay attention. Child, your sins are forgiven. And shock fills the whole room. Keep in mind, this is the first time that this is said. And Jesus is saying, hey, I forgive you. And they're like, wait a minute. I believe the energy just got sucked out of the room. Why? Because religion says you cannot do that. The crowd is shocked because they see a common person cannot forgive sin. The paralyzed man is shocked because he just came to be healed. And he got healed and forgiven. This is huge. The religious leaders are shocked because there's no animal sacrifice. There's no temple. There's no priest. There's no signs of Leviticus being played out. You just can't change thousands of years of church history with one sentence unless you're the son of God. And he does. He says, hey, I want to tell you something. Your sins are forgiven. That's good news. Whatever you did, whatever you've done, today's a new day. Your sins are forgiven. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, they begin to talk and they said, Who can forgive sins but God? And watch what happens. In verse 8, he says, Why are you thinking these things? He blows their mind. He can heal. He can forgive sin. He can read minds. I bet the disciples were thinking, we got to be careful with this guy, right? We're going to have to be careful around him. There's going to have to have to be meetings with him and meetings without him. In ancient times, there is a one-on-one -on -one correlation between sickness and sin. In other words, Something is wrong with you because you did something wrong. So Jesus tells them, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk, right? Here's the big point. Pay attention here. If Jesus can forgive the consequence of sin, which is sickness, with a word, then perhaps he can forgive sin with a word also. So the third narrative today, he's unbelievably comfortable with sinners. Now there's a lot of conflict in church world right, right now because there's talk of people saying Jesus draws these big circles and he just says, come in and be in, I'm, 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 I'm inclusive. And so you can be anything you, you, you just come. And this is, this is that fine line I was talking about just a few moments ago. Jesus opens a wide door. But make no mistake about it, Jesus also drew lines. He drew lines that says, hey, this is how this is going to go. If you're going to be with me, this is how it has to happen. 
you gotta, you gotta go this direction. There's some things you're gonna have to cut out, some things that you gotta stop. And we've done this to ourselves because it became uncomfortable to talk about things like holiness or righteousness because they aren't fun. They aren't fun to communicate. They aren't fun to work on. They aren't fun to be, you know, to go to the Holy Spirit and say, you just operate on me as much as you want. It's a lot more fun and comfortable spiritually to just say, Jesus loves me, and that's where it ends. But that's not where that conversation ends. It's where it starts. And so it begins there. I love you, but because I love you, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to change it. So in Mark chapter 2, he's so comfortable with these guys, but he's walking along and he sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth and he says, follow me. Okay? So Levi is a tax collector. This also means, from what we can understand about this particular culture, that he was probably a man of wealth. So he was good at his job. We know that he was under Roman guard because he's collecting taxes. Open air. I mean, he may have a stack of, of money and all kinds of things around him. So he's protected by the Romans. He's making good money. He's got an easy job. I mean, he's got an office job. He sits there. He talks to people. He's checking off the books. People don't, don't really care for him because he's the tax guy. And Jesus walks by and says to him, I want you to follow me. And they are not happy about it. So the, again, this small group that Jesus has put together begins to be a little bit conflicted. I think Peter personally thought, Lord, we got a good thing going, right? Like, you're the leader of the small group, and then I'm second. And then there's James and John. I like them a lot. And then there's Andrew. We're all getting along. We're all bought in. You're all going to make us famous. We don't have to fish anymore. This is great. Can we just keep it the way it is? And Levi has already lost his rep reputation, right? Surely he's not going to lose his bankroll. But in verse 14, it simply says, Levi got up and followed him. He felt it. He had a connection there. Jesus called sinners out and said, come be with me. Get me into your life. Do you know who Levi is in our world in this context? He's you. He's me. He's people with hang-ups in history. So this is what it's like. He has come to us in your mess. And he's saying, I want to be with you. And if you're new to church today, maybe somebody invited you for the first time. Maybe church has not been your thing. Maybe something happened in your life and you just kind of removed yourself from walking with Christ. Listen, he's still calling out, I want to be with you. He is comfortable with whatever you have to bring to him. And Peter's way of doing things was going to end quickly. Why? Because the kingdom of God was here. Jesus' time was here. So Peter, James, John, and Andrew have a decision to make. Do we walk away or do we believe the good news? And I think that's still a challenge for us today because there are people, and I, I want to address this. 
I just didn't know how I wanted to, and it's still not, not polished. So just give me some grace here. But there are people walking away right now from corporate gatherings of worship for really petty reasons. And they're just walking away and saying, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that or I can't, I can't be a part. Let, 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 let me tell you something. I believe with all of my heart. The church on its worst day is still the best thing that this world has to offer. We are still feeding more people and clothing more people and sheltering more people and seeing more people in prison and taking care of more widows and orphans than any other group in the world. We still have a good news. Just last year, this huge study was, was done, but post-COVID, they just wanted to know, like, who are the most generous people in the world? It was Christians. People like you and me getting out, out their wallet. I'm not talking about just to their church. I'm talking about to other people who are doing great things. Christians were at the core of that saying, I'll fund it. I'll, I'll, I'll give to it. On our worst day, we're still better than any helping organization in the world. It's good news. It was good news 2,000 years ago. It's good news this morning. It'll be good news in a decade. It'll be good news in 100 years. It'll be good news for all of your grandchildren. Because Jesus is still in the business of touching lives and healing folks and transforming and pulling people out of the mire of their own decisions and saying, I'm going to be with you. And if it upsets some people, if it overturns the apple cart, he'll still do it. If you've got a reputation where no one wants to be your friend, he will still be yours. And his word says, he's a friend to the friendless. A father to the fatherless. Let me wrap up with this. So in Mark 1, he says, this, this leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In Mark 2, as they're lowering him down through the roof, Jesus saw their faith. What level of faith did Jesus have to see in both of these examples? Let me tell you what, what he saw. He saw enough faith. It was enough it was enough to move him. It was enough to get his heart involved. And I'm going to say that that's still the same for you this morning. And if you're here today and you're just like, Kevin, you, don't, you, don't, you just don't know, man. Like, you don't, you don't know the story. You don't know the details. You don't know where I'm at. You don't know how mad I am. You don't know how mad I am at God. I bet there's enough in you right now to move the heart of God towards you. If you'll just open your hands, if you'll show your cards, if you'll open your chest and just say, God, here, here it is. Here's, here it is. Here's the ugly stuff. Here, here's, here's the hurt. Here's the disappointment. Here's the rub. It's good news. So whatever you've got today, he's got good news. He wants to bring you close. He wants to transform your life. He wants to take you from just, hey, I'm coming as I am 
to becoming who he sees that you can become. And that's a loving, loving journey. Your faith this morning is enough. Just give it to him. All right. I want you to bow your heads in this place for just a second.